but yeah, it wasn't how it was supposed to go. To watch her, you know, go downhill so fast, and um, you know, thinking about it back now, it's like, in a lot of ways, you know, and this didn't come to me until recently that I was watching her die every day. Every day was another day to get up and watch her die a little bit, because I think we got to the point where we knew it was serious. Um, we didn't really talk about it. Again, again, we didn't talk about it, and that might be my fault, her fault. I don't know. You know, it's like, how do you broach some of those conversations? It's like, you know, there, there's no children, there's no, there's no will, there's no, you know, um, financial empire we need to worry about in the estate or anything. It was just us. Welcome to And Then Everything Changed, a podcast about the pivotal moments in life and decisions that define us. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today, my guest is Mark Shutter. Welcome, Mark. Hi, Ronnie. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm really glad that you're here, and I know we have so much to talk about. I wanted to ask you if you would like to talk a little bit about who you were many years ago when you first got married. What kind of a man were you? Oh, interesting question. Um, I'd like to say that I was your typical... American male, um, you know, grew up in a middle-class family, um, grew up, um, went to school in the same town I grew up in all the way through high school and then even into college. And that's where Mm -hmm. I, um, you know, met my wife at that point, um, was at college. And so, you know, very traditional, very um, mainstream, um, nothing out of the ordinary, if you will. Mm Mm-hmm. So how many years were you married and how long had you known each other prior to getting married? We, um, we met and knew each other for about two years before we got married through college, as I said mm-hmm. before, and we were married for just under or just over five years. And, and then at that point, for people who are not familiar with your story, can you talk a little bit about what happened at the five-year mark? Yeah, um, um, she passed away from metastatic breast cancer um, at the five-year mark. Um, she was, it, it was kind of backtrack a little bit. Um, she, my, my wife had lymphoma when she was, I, I believe, 12 or 13 and mm-hmm. went through treatment for that. And then we you know, got married, and I believe it was about two and a half years after we were married, she was first diagnosed with breast cancer, went through... Um, you know, ultra-radical mastectomy, uh, went through treatment, and kind of went into remission for Mm -hmm. about a year and a half. And then the cancer came back in October. She was re-diagnosed with, you know, the the metastatic breast cancer. And it went into her lungs, went into her hip, and also had a lesion on the back of her her neck. And Mm -hmm. like I said, she was diagnosed in October and died in April of the following year. So basically Mm -hmm. six months. Mm-hmm. And so she had sort of this familiar path with cancer prior. I mean, you knew about this in her yes. past when you got married, and she had dealt with it younger, in younger mm-hmm. years. And so, you know, the landscape with cancer, I know it's it's a really longstanding and dangerous illness, and it also changes a lot. Treatment plans kind of adjust. So how many years ago was this that um, you were first married and she had her first uh, bout with cancer, breast cancer? Yeah, we were married in um, the late 1980s, um, and she died in the early 1990s. So we're talking almost 30 years ago. Yes, right. And so the treatment is really different. So, you know, from what I understand, the way that people go about trying to 
get rid of cancer has changed. And so yeah. what was your outlook at that point when, when she first got diagnosed? How dangerous, how scared was she and, and were you? When I think back to that, honestly, um, at that point, the two of us were living um, far away from family. We were still in the Northwest, but we were in, it was just the two of us um, actually up in Bellingham, Washington. And oh, we didn't that's have really pretty. Yeah, very pretty. So we didn't have family mm-hmm. around. I don't remember us being scared of the, the potential of her dying, but I do remember mm-hmm. us being scared and her being very scared of the, the, the treatment at that point because it was, you got cancer, you got to have a mastectomy, you got to go through chemo. I mean, there was, no, there was no discussion about it that I remember. It was basically, mm-hmm. this is what the doctor says, this is what you do. And so, you know, I was in my mid-20s, she was in her mid-20s, and so we nodded and, and we did what we were told to do. Did you go, were you working at this point? Were you trying to carry on with your regular daily life or how did you approach the treatment? Yeah, we, we carried on with our regular life. Um, it was interesting because, like I said, we were alone you know, in, in this city. We had friends and stuff, um, but no family around. So it was, it, was, it was like soldier on, if you will. You know, yes, this is happening over here, but mm-hmm. you know, I still got up and went to work every day um, as much as I could, mm-hmm. other than taking time off for treatments and things like that. She continued to work. I think she went part-time for a while, um, but we just kind of soldiered on um, and, and did what we thought we were supposed to be doing. Yeah. Did you talk about how you were feeling? <sighs> we, when I think back to it, we didn't a lot at that point, to be honest with you. Um, I, I, I think a lot about, I think it was just so overwhelming and we were so in the moment, mm-hmm. if you will, that we didn't talk about the, the feelings. We, we did come to a point, you know, after she'd been going through chemotherapy for a while, where um, we had a conversation that I distinctly remember where she, she wanted to stop the chemotherapy. Um, she was like, I don't think it's helping. Mm. I don't think um, it's going to do any good. And so we had a long conversation about that. And eventually we did stop the chemotherapy. We did not go through the full treatment. Um, and, mm. you know, I, I, I trusted her at that point and her feelings on it. Um, and it was in the beginning, you know, when she had the, 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 the mastectomy and they did the, um, um, the, the surgery, they, they were, the doctors were... 90% sure they had everything. I mean, all the surrounding tissue was negative. All the lymph nodes were negative. So they were pretty sure, at least they were hopeful that they had gotten all the cancer. But, you know. Mm-hmm. You okay? Yep, I'm okay. Thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting kind of, it's, it's an unusual choice to stop the chemo. Is that, mm-hmm. do you understand that because it was so debilitating? Yes. Um, the, the chemo was insanely debilitating for her. Um, they couldn't find anti-nausea drugs that worked. Um, so she was nauseated for three days after the chemo. I mean, just throwing up. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was miserable, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, it was miserable for her and for mm-hmm. me to watch her go through that. It's interesting to me that she chose, like, I wonder how, what her thought process was about this isn't working. Because I understand not feeling yeah. well. And mm-hmm. I understand from my friends who have gone through this nowadays how painful and how debilitating uh, chemotherapy is. It's an interesting observation on her part that it wasn't working. And I wonder what that was, why she was feeling that. I wondered the same thing. It's, it's, it's something that 
I live with to this day of, you know, what, what was she thinking at that point? You know, and I've tried to recall some of those conversations, but, you know, I don't remember the specifics. Um, yeah. I do know that I was scared, and I was like, are you sure about this? Are you sure about this? Um, and we were talking about, at that point, also about moving back to closer to family. Um, mm-hmm. So I think maybe that played into it, that she just wanted to be closer to family. Um, and I'll be honest with you, kind of looking back now and I think about it and I think about kind of the, 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 the trajectory, if you will, that we were on, she was tired. She was very tired. And I think I overlooked that a lot of times. I mean, physically, emotionally, I think she was just tired um, mm-hmm. a lot. And I think I, I overlooked that, you know, or kind of didn't give it a lot of credence. You feel like you heard her say it, but that you didn't act on it? Or when you say that now with these, this perspective of so many years later, mm-hmm. what does it mean to you? Like, what do you, what do you see in yourself back then? I see in myself back then that um, there was an element of, how do I, how do I put this? That we're going to get through this. I mean, there was, there was, a, there was this hope that I wouldn't allow myself to see anything else you know, of how serious it was um, and how, how, how serious and potentially it could be. And, and I don't know that I ever really faced that through the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like she knew that? Uh, yeah, I'm, I have, a, I have a, a good feeling that she did. You know, having gone through lymphoma when she was younger and treatment, um, I, 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 I honestly do. Yeah. And a lot of that, I'll be honest, was, was, was part of her faith. And um, she, she believed, you know, in a better place after this world. And I, I don't think she was scared of that. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Did, did her family, you know, I'm, I'm so curious when you go through lymphoma as a child and as a young person, were they, I don't know what her relationship was with her close family, but were they around or at all helpful during this time having had this history with her before? Um, <laughs> that's a, um, somewhat of a touchy subject because um, my honest answer is I would say no. Um, kind of the interesting dynamic here is is she um, actually grew up in the Philippines as a missionary's kid. Um, her mm-hmm. parents were, were full-time missionaries in the field. So she spent a lot of her time in the Philippines, came back, you know, for a year um, or so. Every, every few years they'd come back to do depositions, you know, to raise money to go back out into the field. So um, she struggled with, so there was a lot of times where she was, when they were out in the field, she was actually at boarding schools Mm. while her parents were out in the field as Christian missionaries um, doing what they were supposed to be doing. So she did not grow up with her parents there every day. Mm. Um, I do remember her parents coming up after she was diagnosed, um, but, you know, then they went back home. They didn't spend a lot of time. And then when she was, you know, kind of jumping ahead, but just real briefly, when she was diagnosed the second time, her parents were actually in Florida. They did not come back to the Pacific Northwest until the week before she died. So they were gone. Oh, wow. and, and there were many times where she had nights where she would just cry because she missed her parents. And she says, I don't understand why they're not here. Oh, man, so, that's really hard to hear. So, and I, I don't really want to get into that because I don't know what, you know, what... Sure was going on with them exactly. Sure. No, no, no. I don't hear any kind of judgment on your part. You're just talking about yeah. the facts, right? And I yes. that that adds a whole different layer because it also seems to me that, you know, I don't know if she has siblings or not, but it seems like you would be her main anchor then. 
Absolutely. Yeah, she had one younger brother, and again, he didn't come. He was somewhere in the Midwest. He came back for the funeral, and I have never spoken to him since. Oh, so. goodness. I, I just, to think about you as a mid-20s or in your 20s and her in her 20s, and it's your first marriage, and it's your start mm-hmm. of life, and you are in charge of this person's state of mind and health during this yeah. really hard battle. Yeah, and there was, yeah, and there was, um, you know, when we got together, um, there was, there was some, some, some family and friends that, you know, kind of, are you guys sure you know what you're doing? You know, you're young. You know, we were mm-hmm. both in our early 20s at that point. You know what you're doing? It's like, yeah, we know what we're doing. Are you sure this is the right move? You know, all, all well-intentioned, you know, because yeah. <laughs> they care about you. But a lot of times it felt like it was her and me against the world, if you will, mm. you know. And maybe that's something I built up in my mind over the years, <laughs> but it really seemed like that even at the time. It's like, um, I look back now and it's like, I sometimes, you know, don't know how I did it. Because mm-hmm. it was, you know, treatments and sleepless nights and, you know, and we did have help. I mean, don't get me wrong. There were, there were friends and there were, my family was good yeah. about helping. But still, it was, it was the two of us in that house, you know, night after night. Mm-hmm. And, you know, nobody knows what goes on behind closed doors, so to speak. You know, there were things going on that nobody knew. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think also, I, I don't know if this is accurate, but especially those couple of decades ago, I don't know that we spent a lot of time culturally talking about mental health and well-being. Right. Yeah, and one of the things, I think that's exactly right. I mean, I had no idea where to turn, who to reach out to, who to even, if that was even an option to reach out to somebody. Whereas now, you jump on Facebook or you jump on any social media and just scroll a little bit and you'll find somebody going, I'm having a horrible day, please, blah, 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 help me out. It's like, it's so easy to reach out. Right, let alone those groups (laughs) that are for maybe grieving grieving fathers, grieving husbands, grieving wives, right? There's so many resources that you can find. And back then, I can only imagine, especially you weren't living in a big city, you were in kind of a smaller town. It sounds isolating. Yeah, so it, it really was. And I think that's what precipitated us, we need to move back closer to family. Because at that point, her parents and my parents were in the same town in, in Idaho, mm-hmm. Boise, Idaho. So we moved back to Boise oh, to be closer to family. Okay. Yeah. And so then what was the prognosis at that point? And, and how was your life, your day-to-day at that point? Um, it kind of actually became somewhat of a normal life. She enrolled in college, back into college. Um, I had already graduated. She were enrolled in a horticultural program. We started... Both of us, you know, got jobs. I transferred with my job, mm-hmm. and um, she got a job, and we just kind of started living life. Um, we assumed, you know, they, they did some tests afterwards, and, you know, there was, no, there was no cancer to be found, nothing in the blood work. So we were like, okay, mm-hmm. we think things are good. Let's just move forward with our lives and um, as, as normal as we could, you know. Yeah, and when you when you think back to those days, that section of time, which I th- I think was probably more stable than the first the year before then, would you say that you two could relax a little bit? Were you happy when when we got back to Boise? Yeah. You mean? Yeah, we were absolutely. Um, in fact, that 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 the, the summer before she was um, re-diagnosed, when you know. Um, things really started moving. Um, I was actually racing mountain bikes. Um, we were traveling throughout Idaho and even into Oregon, camping mm. every weekend. You know, there's a mountain bike race. We were, we, we were having a lot yeah. of fun. You know, just a lot of fun. 
playing tennis, and so it was. It was like you know, really just a, a great time. Yeah. You know, some of the best times we had had. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like maybe that whole diagnosis and the worry had kind of receded a little bit. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Right. So then that takes us to that around that five year mark. I guess October, right? That October before she yeah, passed away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah she. Um, Found a, a a lump in her other breast, or her one remaining breast, I guess I should say, um, and you know, it immediately sent off bells and whistles, if you will. She went to her general practitioner, who immediately, I mean, said, "I'm going to refer you to an oncologist. I think that we need to be we need to be sure." She mm-hmm. goes, "I'm a little concerned." So, I mean, it was a litany of tests, and boom, boom, boom. You know, they found a, 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 a golf, golf ball sized lump in her, in her lung. Um, so, I mean, she was on, you know, scheduled chemo treatment within the week and it was just like, boom, boom, boom. And it's like, oh my gosh, what's, what's, you know, it just really, really fast, you know, what's happening again, this is happening again. And this was October, you know, headed into the holidays and Mm. But it was what it was. So. And how was her? How do you feel like your outlook was back then? Like, do you think at this second bout with her, this is now her third battle against cancer. Yeah. This is your second. So, when you go back to the man you were back then, what was your? What do you think your state of mind was? My state of mind was, um, outwardly, my state of mind was, we're going to beat this. I'm going to do everything I can to. To, that's in my power to help you and to save you if I could. Um, inwardly, though, I was scared to death. Hmm. And I was freaking out and I was, I was struggling, but I shoved that so far down that, you know, just I, wouldn't, I was not going to let anybody see that, that side of me. And I didn't. Hmm. Was that kind of like how you'd normally approach things that scared you? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of, you know, kind of in a way, I mean, kind of, go back to my memoir, it kind of goes, that's, I don't want to say that's how I was brought up, but that's just kind of, that's the, the truth that I lived in my own life. I know? really, I totally respect, I respect that you said it that way because I hear again that you don't want to point fingers and that you're claiming this is your perspective and experience. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Because I, I, yeah, this is, I can't speak for others, but, you know, I can only speak for myself and what I experienced and what I remember experiencing and, you know, what I was going through at the time. Yeah. Well, don't you think, though, some of those things, I, I know I talked about this a little bit. I sometimes talk about this in what I write, but these patterns that we absorb, I mean, some of the times we're not even, I mean, most of the time, I think we don't even pay attention. We don't know that we're absorbing these these modes of communicating and being. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it just it just becomes kind of that, that, that default of this is who I am sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And I can imagine, I mean, if you are the other one in the relationship who's healthy and the mm-hmm. person is sick, there's nobody else for it to rest on but you, right? right. Yeah, and it, yeah, exactly. And it, it, it seemed to, you know, it, 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 like I said, my experience, you know, going through this, I know a lot of other people have lost, you know, significant others, children, but what I experienced was so far, so different from what I believed was supposed to happen. You know, you get married, for better or worse, you know, you live to an old age and all that. It's like, this is not the way it's supposed to be going. 
Not to say that life mm-hmm. ever goes the way we thought it would go. Right. Well, yeah, but I don't think we learn that until we're on the other side of those things that aren't supposed to happen. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, you know, here I am, you know, 26, 27 years old, watching this young, vibrant woman who I had met in college, fallen in love with, and, and married, basically just wasting away. I mean, and going through this horrific thing that just tore her down. And, and she put on a good face, don't get me wrong. I mean, she put on a smile on her face and she went out the door every day. Um, she was very honest about it, as opposed to me. I, you know, I hid it from everybody. She was very honest. If people ask how she was doing, she'd say, I'm fine, but I've got cancer. Mm-hmm. I mean, and she wouldn't say that to complete strangers, but she, if people ask, she would, she would have that conversation. People would ask me and I'd say, I'm fine. Things are good, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> so a very different perspective. Um, but yeah, it wasn't how it was supposed to go, to watch her you know, go downhill so fast. And, um, you know, thinking about it back now, it's like, in a lot of ways, you know, and this didn't come to me until recently that I was watching her die every day. Mm. Every day was another day to get up and watch her die a little bit. Mm. Because I think we got to the point where we knew it was serious. Um, We didn't really talk about it. Again, again, we didn't talk about it. And that might be my fault, her fault, I don't know. You know, it's like, how do you broach some of those conversations? It's like, you know, there, there's no children, there's no, there's no will, there's no, you know, um, financial empire we need to worry about in the estate or anything. It was just mm-hmm. us, you know, and I'll take care of the dogs and cats when you're mm-hmm. gone. It's like, what else is there to talk about? Right. Why spend more time in that, in that space, right? I, I can see that. Right. Right. Well, it's, it's also makes me wonder... You know, I'm not sure. I mean, I kind of know where our conversation may go because I'm familiar with your story. But I wonder if someone had sat you down, the man you were, not the man who you are now, if they had, I wonder if you could have even opened up if someone had given you the opportunity, if someone had been in a, in a place with you where they really looked at you and they really delved, if that Mark back then would have opened up and let himself feel what you were feeling out loud, you know? Yeah, I, 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 I don't think I would have, to be honest with you, when I think back. Did you have any kind of closure with her when she passed away? Yeah, I actually did. And um, this, this may be hard for me to get through, but there was, at the, at the very end, um, we, she, she was really struggling, had a really bad um, reaction to some chemo. I called the doctor, I believe on Wednesday morning, no, it was Thursday morning, sorry. And we, we took her in, and they immediately um, admitted her to the hospital. Um, and so we did some tests and everything. Thursday was just kind of a blur. And that evening, Thursday night, we had a few people. I think her mom was in town at that point, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I'm pretty sure her mom was in town at that point. Um, my parents were there. My brother and his wife were there, and I think some few other friends. Um, they had all left the hospital. They'd come and stop by, and it was that um, Thursday night, and it was just me and her in the hospital. Um, and it was about two something in the morning. I'd have to look back to know specifically because I know it's in my journal. Um, where she actually woke up and was very coherent for like the first time in hours, and we had a we had a small conversation. And we were able to say our goodbyes, and it was 
then shortly after that, she drifted back off to sleep, and that was the last time she was coherent because she kind of slipped into a coma um, later the next morning on Friday, which, and then she died at uh, 4.30 in the afternoon on Friday afternoon, which was actually Good Friday. But I was there when she died. I, I held her hand, so... Thank you for sharing that. I know that was hard. Yeah, thank you. What a gift to have her with you for a little bit before she left. Oh, yeah. And and it was it was I look back now and it's hard and it's it's you know, it's painful to recall, but it also was a very beautiful moment. If, if yeah. that makes sense. I mean, her her death was very peaceful. Um, it was very, very calm, um, you know, so, but then, then I get into, you know, to take that one step further, I get, I get into, you know, being there for her through all of the treatments and stuff being there when she actually, you know, took her last breath was hard, but one of the really hardest things, if not the hardest thing, but that moment was to stand up away from that hospital bed to turn my to turn my back on this woman and walk away from her. Mm-hmm. But I really didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. When you think about that, did you do you feel like you spent do you feel like you got up and walked away when you were ready? Yeah, I, I did. I did. I, and, I, I, and I do. Yeah, I don't have any, any regrets over that. It was just very, very, it was very hard. I mean, I'm not sure how I did it, you know. Um, and, and, I, and I talk about that in my book. There's a lot of, you know, long walks, mm. if you will, um, after the fact. Because death is only the beginning. I mean, there's the death, but then there's all this stuff afterwards. Yeah. You know, it's, you'd been thinking about the, the specter of death and losing her for years, I would think. And I wonder what the reality was like compared to what your fears had been. Yeah, see, that's interesting because I never really, when I think back, I never really put my fears into context, if you will. Mm. So I never really thought about it. You know, yeah, I was scared of her being sick and scared of her dying, but I never really put it into context of what does that really mean? You know, that means I'm going to be alone. It means I'm going to come back to this empty house, you know, the night after she dies, I go back to this empty house and she's not there, you know, and she's not ever coming back there, you know, but all of her stuff's there. Mm-hmm. So it's those moments that, 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 that really, you know, I struggle with sometimes. Mm. Still? Yeah, still. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, it's, it, there's a space, you know, where she was and now she's not, you know, and so that sort of thing. Knowing that life goes on, you know, knowing that I'm in a very different place than I was then, but at that point, it was like, you know, it was such a, 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 um, a conflict of wanting to, you know, make her proud of me, but also not wanting to forget her and move on. So there was this weird kind of struggle internally for me for a lot of years of, if I do this, does that mean I'm forgetting her? If I don't do this, does that mean I'm, you know, stuck in this, 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 this spot sort of thing? And so there was a huge internal struggle with me for years after that. 
how did you navigate that? I mean, I, I don't know if at this point you had anyone to talk to. How did you handle that? Um, I just, I, you know, looking back, I, I took it moment by moment, you know. But, you know, my breakdowns were always late, late at night at home or in the, in the car at lunch at work. And then I'd wipe, you know, wipe my eyes off and put a smile on my face and go back to work. Um, it wasn't something, you know, and people would say, I'm so sorry about your loss. And I'd say, oh, thanks, you know, and just kind of brush it off. I didn't want to mm. go there with people in a lot of ways. Um, did, did you feel like the people around you, how did they approach you or handle you? Despite like you're seeing, you know, that it was hard for you to really tap in or engage. But do you feel like people were handling your widow widowerhood all right or was it uncomfortable I think for a lot of them it was uncomfortable and I, you know and that's just my own impression um like yeah. I said I, I'm not sure what they were feeling but <laughs> again, again again I really appreciate that <laughs> but, because that's so like that's so gracious of you and I totally agree you know as a memoir writer myself that it's important to remind yourself and others what the filter is yeah it's just like um you know and I I, I, I wrote some of this in, in my book that you know you know, the, the days and weeks and even months afterwards, like everybody just kind of goes back to their little lives. And like, I can't go back to my life the way it was. And so, you know, and I, and I know we're all going to deal with that on some level at some time because death's going to find us all. And that's one of the reasons mm-hmm. that kind of prompted me to write this book. It's like, this is not a unique, I mean, it's a unique experience to me and what I dealt with, but the, the death is not a unique experience to human beings. We're all going mm-hmm. to die at some point and have our loved ones die at some point. So, um, but yeah, I, I think, I think people were uncomfortable, some more than others. I mean, I had some good friends who came around me. Um, but honestly, I kept most of them at arm's length. I kept my mm-hmm. younger brother at arm's length. Um, it's just, it was just, that, that was how I coped with it. You know, it, was there a reason do you think just because it, like, why him? I don't know why him. To be honest with you, I mean, he would he would get me to go out and go 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 bike riding and, and stuff like that. But it's just it just I don't know. I, I think part of I think part of it was this is my pain, this is my thing, and I'm not going to let anybody else take it from me. So there was a weird sort of attachment there too. I think. Yeah. So then you know what made you go to therapy five years ago after um, 25 years? You know. <laughs> Probably my, 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 my current wife and the fact that my daughter was um, almost 10 and she was starting to pick up. God bless her, she's so intuitive. Mm. She started to pick up on things and she actually asked my wife, was daddy married once before? Because she had kind of overheard things. And it was not like we ever talked about it out loud. Yeah. And, and so you know, we didn't want to lie to her, so we told her yes. And you know, my first wife had died. And so that kind of prompted me. It's like, if I want to be the man I need to be, both as a husband and a father, I need to get my, my shit together, <laughs> so to speak. I can't just keep pushing this down. Because, and, and, and my counselor said that. I mean, after a while, um, he goes, you know, he goes, you're, you're a typical man. We push things down, but it always comes back. <laughs> he goes, you can only push it so, down so far. He goes, I'm dealing with people, older gentlemen, who are still are dealing with stuff that they happened to them in their younger days. And, you know. It, it comes back, unfortunately, mm-hmm. if we don't find it, don't put it into perspective and, 
and doing it. So that's what kind of prompted me. So can I can I ask a little bit about how you met your wife and yes, and and absolutely. what your how you related to or how you both related in the marriage to your previous marriage? Well, that's a whole nother that's a whole nother book in book in and of itself. <laughs> um, she actually worked at Mervyn's also. Mm-hmm. So she knew, she knew my first wife, um, not personally, but she knew who she was. Um, she had seen her at functions and stuff. Um, and it was one of those things where we were friends at work, but we had never really done anything outside of work. Um, after the fact, we kind of, you know, after she died, we kind of became better friends over, over the course of a, a year or so. Um, and the interesting thing is, is we've actually talked about this. Um, we kind of got together it was a little over a year, I think, after, after my wife died. We kind of started um, just hanging out more. And it just it, it happened really fast. And we look back on it now, and it probably happened too fast. Mm. But part of the reason it, we got together so quickly that we believe is we were both very broken. She was broken from a lot of things that she had experienced growing up and was still dealing with. I was broken from you know, my wife dying and feeling alone. So both of us were very lonely. But we allowed each other to be lonely, and it was okay. Mm-hmm. She wasn't threatened by that. I wasn't threatened by her past. We just allowed each other to be who we were in that moment, um, which was okay in that moment. But as the years went by and, you know, okay, we can't do this forever. You know, 10 years into the marriage, it's like, we can't do this forever. We need to. It could be better, sort mm-hmm. of thing. And especially after she got pregnant, and it's like, oh, now we're bringing a child into this world like maybe we both need to kind of do some some work on ourselves. So mm-hmm. that's that's kind of what prompted it. So, but two very broken people who came together, and you know, now it's it's turned out to be a very beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, it takes work, doesn't it? I mean, it does absolutely. You know, I wonder. I wonder what it's like to be the spouse of someone who has lost another spouse. You know, what it's like for your wife now. I I can't. She's. I can't. I admire her so much. Is. Because she, she, she will say, every time I ask her, I said, are you okay with this? She said, I'm fine with this. She goes, I know you love her, but I know you love me too. Mm, and mm-hmm. I'm good with it. So it, it's, it's amazing because I, I don't know how I, could, how I would deal with that. Yes, right. When you think about the, the, it being reversed, right? If, if she was mourning somebody who she lost, but she loved you too. Exactly. You know, you know, we change so much over the course of our lives. I feel like I really believe that we have different lives within our life. And do you feel like you're living differently now, emotionally? Yeah, I do. I, th- I think I think I'm more. I do. I do think I'm more present. Um, I, I still struggle to be. Yeah. Um, um, I'm absolutely not there at all. Not where I would like to be or think I could be. But I'm not, I'm trying not to live in fear as much. And I think I lived in fear for a lot of years. I mean, fear of her, mm-hmm. you know, fear of her sickness, fear of her dying, fear of, oh my gosh, now she's dead, what do I do? Fear of screwing up, um, fear of, you know, not being, you know, fear of not saving her, all these, these fears that manifested themselves, fear of not being a good father, fear of not being a good husband again. Um, I'm trying to do the best I can. So I think I'm different. I'm trying to give myself more grace too, which then goes out to giving others more grace because I think we can all use a lot more grace. Because you know? I, am, I am my own worst critic and I am hard mm-hmm. on myself. Do you feel like there's something you would want to tell men who are going through what you went through? 
with with your first wife who are battling illness and a loved one? Again, I, I'm not sure because sometimes, sometimes the words are just words, if that makes sense. And um, but I also am a firm believer that 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 hope doesn't die unless we allow it to die completely. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes it's that there are people out there who care, and sometimes it's minute by minute just to get through the days. Um, but it takes a lot of strength to, to get through those minutes. And sometimes it, it takes even more strength to reach out sometimes. Um, and, and like, you know, asking for help is, 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 is difficult, especially for men. I mean, of, of any kind. And even, even just sharing and having that vulnerability is difficult for men. So can you, you know, we didn't even share, I didn't even ask you to share the name of the book. Oh, that, that's okay. The, the, the book at this point, which uh, this is a tentative title because it's, it's in, it's in um, editing right now with the, the, the publishing company, but the title is um, Cowboys Are Not Supposed to Cry. And then the subtitle is, and they'll tell you the best thing you can do with death is to ride off from it, mm-hmm. question mark. Because, and that is kind of taken from a line of a Western movie that, um, that I watched. So it's like, and, but that's what guys do. You know, we just... We kind of, and a lot of, and not just guys. I think there's a lot of that on both sides. We just kind of ride off from death. Yes. So, so when your daughter now, you know, if she talks, does she ask you questions about your old life? Um, occasionally, um, she she wants to know, but she's also very um, considerate. And she goes, and she says, "I don't want to make you sad." And I'm like, "Sweetie, you're not going to make me sad." I said, "It's when people don't bring her up that makes me sad," you know. And, mm-hmm. and, and I, have, I have some experience of that. It's like people never bring her up, you know, well-intentioned again probably because they don't want to make me sad. They don't want to bring up a painful subject. But if you never bring her up, the story I tell myself is she didn't matter and my life with her doesn't matter and my pain doesn't matter. And that's the story I internalize. <laughs> yeah, right. And it seems like you have done so much work. Like it's, it feels like you... I feel like from hearing your story, you didn't have a lot of peace about, uh, you didn't have a lot of peace during her illness and you didn't have a lot of peace in the aftermath of losing her. Do you, do you get more peace these days? Yeah, much more. Um, I, I, I really, really do. Um, like I said, it's still a struggle. It's still a struggle at times. Um, I still have a lot of unanswered questions, and, you know, I talk about that in, 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 in the book. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, um, the silence of God a lot of times, you know. And, but that's where faith comes in and where, you know, okay, are you going to continue to believe what you believe, what you believe is the truth, or are you going to, you know, go a different direction? And sometimes that's where, you know, we're really tested in, in those moments. It's like, because a lot of times there, there, there are no easy answers, if there are any answers at all. Yeah. That's true. And I don't think this kind of work really ends. Right. You know, I think part of my getting older was realizing there was no end point to arrive at. It's all part of this continuum, like you were talking about before. Exactly. Yeah. So where can listeners, where can listeners find your work and, and find out more about you? Well, great. Um, I have a website. It's just um, markshutter.com. Um, that's just my website where I post my writings, um, links to some of the, the, the things I've been, um, poetry 
anthologies I've been published in, uh, photos, just, and sometimes just random musings of mine. I'm also on all the social media um, things, Twitter, Instagram. I have a Facebook page. Um, if you just Google Mark Shutter, I, I should come up. There are some other Mark Shutters out there, but you should be able to find <laughs> me pretty easily. Yeah, and I'll link to everything cool. um, in the show notes and also on the site for the episode too. Great. Thank you. Can I, one final question before we go. Yeah. Do you feel proud of yourself? Uh, yes. When, 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 when I actually go there and I allow myself to go there, um, I am very proud of myself. When I wrote this book, um, there were times where it was, you know, it was very emotional because I had to go to some very dark places I didn't want to revisit and pull up some memories. As, as you know, maybe you haven't visited in a long time. But at the same time, mm. when I step back and I look at this, this person who went through this, I'm like, wow, there's something there. I mean, and not, not to sound, you know, egotistical or self-serving, but it's like, that sucked. I mean, that really sucked to have to go through that. And this person came through that and stronger on the other side. Um, so, yeah, I am proud of myself. Um, I'm proud of where I've come. Um, I'm proud that I stood by her bedside and held her hand while she died mm -hmm. because I've been told by a couple other men who have lost wives that they, they didn't and they regret it to this day because they, they said they couldn't stay in the hospital room. They had to leave. Mm -hmm. And so I'm proud of myself for stand, standing there and, and being with her. I'm proud of doing what I could. Do I wish it was more? Of course. But, and then I'm proud of where I am now. You know, I'm proud that I have a wonderful wife, beautiful family, beautiful daughter, and you know, who knows what the next 30 years are going to be like. I, I'm excited. You know, for, for the first time in a long time, you know, I'm, I'm excited about the future. I went through a lot of years of not really just kind of living day to day, not really excited about the future. Mm -hmm. I'm really happy for you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for sharing the story and for helping me understand a little bit more about your work and, and what made you decide to share your experience. Thank you, Honey. I appreciate it. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for listening to And Then Everything Changed. For more on this episode, photos, and other episodes you might like, please visit atecpodcast.com. You can connect with me and learn more about episodes on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram also. Just search for my name, Ronit Plank, R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K, and you will find all the updates. If you like this podcast, please remember to subscribe and also rate and review so other people can find it. Thank you so much for listening.